Welcome to Let It Be Easy with Susie Moore. I'm so excited to have one of my best friends, one of my favorite people on the podcast today, the one and only Farnoosh Taravi, talking about her incredible new book, A Healthy State of Panic. Oh my, this book is a must read. I absolutely adore how Farnoosh uses fears to guide us using a specific nine rules, nine rules around fear, how these different nine fears can actually guide us, support us, and really set us on the on the right path to pursuing the life of our dreams, right? Because often we're told, oh, your fears are bad, you know, be fearless, just kick him to the curb. Farnoosh sees it differently. And I have the pleasure of knowing her well in real life. And this woman has always been an inspiration to me. She's a leading finance expert. You've probably seen her on Kelly and Ryan, now Kelly and Mark, the Today Show, Good Morning America. She's the most on television woman I know. And her award-winning podcast, So Money, has over 30 million downloads. I love this woman. I love her new book, A Healthy State of Panic. And I love this conversation specifically the part around the fear of endings towards the end of the interview. Make sure you listen all the way through because I think that Farnoosh brings up a lot of topics that happen in our real lives that frankly we don't often talk about and share. So my friend, I'm thrilled to give you the one and only Farnoosh Taravi and definitely check out A Healthy State of Panic. Farnoosh Taravi. Oh my gosh. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, podcast. Welcome. I always I'm always the one welcoming people. So I'm always like, they're like, welcome, Farnoosh. And I'm like, welcome. No way. I should say, I should just say hello. Just thank you. Hello. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I said as we started, I just want to kick off right away because I want to. Oh my god, it. look at all those hot- Oh, I, I'm a reader. And do, did I love this book? Truly. Congratulations. Thank like, you. What a gorgeous book. A Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career and Win at Life. Fun fact, I was in the uh, in the lift yesterday and as, as we we're going up, a guy said, he's like, that looks like a really good book. He's like, what? I know. And I was like, that's you when you it. made it. When your <laughs> Lyft driver, it used to be your cab driver was in the know. We don't have cab drivers anymore. Oh. I know what? I mean, uh, so I I was so lucky to get an advanced copy of this. And the first thing I want to say is, you know, I've known you for a while and I've learned a lot about you through this book, which has mm-hmm. been such a pleasure for me. And you highlight in this book, essentially nine fear-based rules. Yeah. Do you recall them off the top of your head in order? <laughs> well, I um, I think I have memorized all of the nine fears. Okay, yeah, let's... it starts with the fear of, and, and the reason I chose these particular fears before I get into them are because mm-hmm. I think they're universal to all of us. And the mm-hmm. order of the fears was very intentional, as I think fear has a, a this tendency to sort of balloon as we yes. get older and it gets more complex. Our relationship with fear grows more complex as we get older. And so it starts with the fears that I think we all are very familiar with and we first get introduced to mm. in childhood, like mm. fear of rejection, 
mm-hmm. and fear of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I can attest to both of those. Mm-hmm. And then it gets into FOMO, the fear of missing out, which uh, is a bit mm-hmm. of a modern day fear, but I think it starts to settle in when we're socializing and going to, you know, we leave the nest, so to speak, and we're out in the real world. And of course, social media heightens it. And then I get into this really difficult fear that was hard to write about, I think, because there wasn't a whole lot of research on it, although I did find the opposite of it. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the fear of exposure. Mm-hmm. The opposite of that is sort of like just being vulnerable all the time without any fear of consequences. <laughs> Not recommended. <laughs> Not recommended. I mean, sometimes it's fine, but I think that chapter is really about when the fear of exposure comes up and you're worried about sharing an aspect of your truth, you yes. must read the room. Mm-hmm. Not all not all audiences are ready or deserve what you're about to say and what you're about to reveal. Mm-hmm. So that's the fear of exposure. Then we get into, now let me think if I can remember, chapter five. I think it's the fear of failure uncertainty. or uncertainty. Okay, those yes. two. They, so the fear of uncertainty predates in the book the fear of money, mm-hmm. and then it's fear of failure. And the fear of uncertainty, money, and failure are sort of like the three musketeers in life, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you can't be afraid of money if because we're afraid of money because we're afraid of uncertainty. We don't like failure because it's uncertain. And so those three chapters are sort of like at the nucleus of the book. And then it gets into the fear of endings, mm. which I thought was going to be the last chapter, but I wanted to end on a brighter note <laughs> than things closing, <laughs> uh, even though it was very, um, it was very apropos. And then I, I ended with the fear of losing your freedom, which is not so much losing your sort of democratic constitution freedoms, although I am fighting that fight too. Mm-hmm. It's more about how to honor your sense of autonomy and how when you fear losing that, what it's trying to signal you to do. Usually it's to take action and get loud. Mm. And okay, so these fears, I love them so much because normally, you know, as you say in the book, it's like go out there and kick ass, right? That's what we're told. Like fearless women, fun, fearless females. Like we see this stuff all the time. And I also love too talking about fear, but you're, you're really speaking about it in the form of a superpower. And Kelly Ripper mm-hmm. says you give it a rebrand. You give fear mm-hmm. a much needed rebrand. How did you come up with this idea? I mean, I love the fears broken down to recap it's rejection, loneliness, FOMO, exposure, uncertainty money, failure, endings, and the loss of your freedom. So how did Mm -hmm. you come up with this as your book idea? Because it really is different. And we're told to lean into something that's so natural uh, as opposed to everything else that we're we're told out there. Mm. Well, as you know, all books need a big idea and they need Mm -hmm. to surprise you in a little way. And this wasn't, this wasn't just a book to shock in all readers, right? This, I, Mm -hmm. I live this and I believe Mm -hmm. this, but of course, this wasn't the initial idea. The initial idea was just to write a series of essays that capture the uh, the wild and true tales of growing up Iranian-American in this country. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a sloppy memoir. And I'm so glad that my editor, Michelle Herrera Mulligan <laughs> at Atria, was like, these stories are great. Nothing against these stories, but I think mm-hmm. that this this book needs a big idea to hang its yep. hat on. And I think mm-hmm. that it's there. I think that mm-hmm. there are patterns in these stories that you tell, which are clear, clearly mm-hmm. this 
young girl who grew up terrified mm-hmm. and, and grappling with fear as a young adult. And then at some point, there is this breakthrough where she mm-hmm. doesn't become fearless, but she might perhaps become a little bit more intelligent with how she relates to fear and, and begins to see fear as a tool and doesn't discount it. And then her life opens up. And I think she said, you know, I think going on that journey would be a lot of fun. It would be very interesting. It would be very different. And so she continued to encourage me to write those stories, but to center it more uh, around this big idea that fear can be a tool, Mm -hmm. maybe even a superpower. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And, And so what if, what if the next time you're afraid, you have nothing to fear you have mm-hmm. nothing to be ashamed of. It is really just a potential opportunity waiting for you to be discovered. And you really break this down and you really go there with your own story, speaking about your parents, speaking about even getting involved in their marriage, like when it comes to the, how they how they uh, talk about money, what they share with each other. You speak about being on air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying, trying to be on air, not messing up. And saying to Meredith Vera, we don't have people three times our age telling us money. (laughs) I mean, as I'm reading this, I'm just like, it's so real. It's so you. I mean, you are, in my eyes, you are this comedian on top of your many other talents. But I'm like, wow, Funnish really goes there. You you share so many specific, lovely stories. I think you really, really open up in a new way here, which is so thrilling for us all to see. One question I had as as I read it was, which was the easiest fear to write about and which was the hardest one to write about? (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, the fear of failure was just like... Like I, I could just write that in my sleep. I think because I have failed so much in my life, and that was the longest chapter. I had so I had to cut that one down, and it still ended up being mm-hmm. the heaviest chapter mm-hmm. in terms of page numbers. But mm-hmm. the fear of failure, just um, I, I mean, it wrote itself. You know, like mm-hmm. every step of every big move, uh, I encountered potential mm-hmm. failure, or I did fail. And I, one of my favorite takeaways from that chapter is that like sometimes failure is the point. Mm-hmm. So there is actually nothing to fear. If you fear the failure, like maybe it's a sign that you're doing it right. <laughs> because oh, yeah, that's yeah. the point. Like uh, parenthood uh, is a just a daily reminder of how um, useless you are as a human being. <laughs> like it's, and it's like, I'm always failing. And I think like, when I started to, you know, I have obviously things that I aspire to teach my children and they're like sort of, there's a framework that I'm trying to raise them within. But mm-hmm. ultimately, like th- you're going to drop a lot of shoes. You're going mm-hmm. to disappoint your children. You're going to disappoint yourself. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, I mean, if you can find the comedy in that and you can find mm-hmm. the community in that, which I have with other parents, mm-hmm. that is um, one of the gifts of failure. You're not alone in those failures. And I think like not to try to fail every day, but that to recognize it's just part of the journey. And so when you fear it, it's just like, yeah, that's normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. so the failure? Heart- Failure yeah, was failure easy. was super duper yeah. easy. The mm-hmm. hardest, the hardest one was definitely the fear of exposure, which I almost scrapped. Mm. It almost mm. this book was almost just eight chapters, not nine, because I just mm. didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could get my point across without offending everybody. Mm-hmm. I was worried that if I ventured to say to readers, 
Hmm. I don't think you should be completely yourself all the time, everywhere. Mm-hmm. I just think that I come from a place of wanting to protect my safety and wanting to protect my options and my ability to choose what I want for myself. And as I opened the book, like I've known the world's a scary place for a long time. Don't mm-hmm. be jealous. And <laughs> I think that for someone to say like, I'm just going to bring my whole 360 self to work every day, screw my boss, take me or leave me. I just mm-hmm. think that that's something that I'm not, aff- I'm not I can't afford that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think most people can. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me to say, just be totally vulnerable in front of everybody all the time, I think that, I don't think that's what people are actually doing, but I think that the message out there around vulnerability doesn't give us the tools to mm-hmm. to to do that in a way that is constructive, in a way that does still protect, mm-hmm. you know, our sanctity. I think some things deserve to be held close to the chest. I don't think everyone needs to know your secrets and your truths. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I give the example of like in my industry, and I'm sure in yours as well, there mm-hmm. are people who will freely share exactly everything. how much they make everything. and everything yeah. about their marriage, about their kids, about yep. all the things. And on the one hand, they probably have millions of followers. So Mm -hmm. you could argue like that's working for them as a strategy, but Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not for me. And I think if it doesn't feel right for you and there's a fear around that for you, because you're worried about that level of exposure, because it's going to invite some distraction. It's going to invite people who don't um, care to really get to understand where you're coming from. You share an opinion Mm -hmm. online and it goes viral, but it's at a hell of that a context. Like, I think there's a reason some people say to hell with Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. Like, I don't need mm-hmm. that in my life. Mm-hmm. I um, I need Instagram. I, I mm-hmm. think I don't need TikTok, <laughs> but I need Instagram. Um, and that's okay. Like, I have figured out what works for me. Where, mm-hmm. like, I say, you know, I share a lot on my podcast that I mm-hmm. won't share necessarily on Twitter or on mm-hmm. Instagram. I have found the groups, the circles. The, the trust trees, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that I feel like I can go there and I will expose and I will share. But that mm-hmm. comes with first recognizing that fear and understanding what it is that you want to protect and using that to measure the different rooms that you're in. I was asked one time in front of a giant room of people on stage, yeah, yeah. how much do <sighs> you make? How much do you make, Farnoosh? And I was like, Touche, because the whole conversation was about <laughs> negotiating and talking about what you're worth and pay transparency. And I was like, I see what you're doing, but <laughs> I am not going to blab my entire W-2 in front of strangers. And wow. I'm sure you're all perfectly nice people, but mm-hmm. I've this is not my first time around the rodeo. Like I know that sometimes when you when people know exactly what you make, they can use that as a tool against you. They can use uh-huh. it to lowball you. Mm-hmm. That's why states are banning employers from asking prospective hires their salary history. So yes. like it, this is real stuff with real consequences. Yes. Now back to that stage and being asked how much I make, I do believe in pay transparency. I do believe in, you know, especially among women and um, people who are marginalized in the workplace to like talk about how much we make because it can help us. Absolutely. But I think it has to be done 
um, safely and smartly. So later we, she and I got coffee mm-hmm. and we, and I invited anybody else who wanted to be part of that conversation and we talked about it and we have helped each other. She has helped me. I've helped her. Mm-hmm. So there are solutions to It's not like, you know, the fear could have been saying to me, like, just, you know, take the fifth amendment and just like run out of that room. But instead <laughs> I was like, um, I appreciate yeah. the question, which I did. I was honest, but I think um, if you, I said, if you're really concerned or curious about what you're making, and you think I can be helpful, let's have that conversation offline. Mm-hmm. And you also asked her questions. You share in the yeah. book, but you know, you you were like, okay, so you know, it's great to know someone's intention for asking questions. Yes. And what is it they want to get out of it? And the word that came to mind for me for you, which is also a word that I think of when I think of you, is just there's like this elegance, right? Aww. There's you're available, you are generous, you show up so much, so much of what you give away is free. People can just get so much insight and wisdom from you, and there is just a healthy. Uh, you know, there are some things that are for me. A reserve, and I think. Yes, yes, exactly. It was um, Jackie Onassis who said, <laughs> do not accept all the invitations to all the parties. Um, you know, she was very discriminatory of like where she hung out, you know, right. like, yes, you don't want to be so accessible. And you speak about that too in the book, how that's gotten easier for you with time and all the invi- yes. invitations that come your way. But there is, I, I agree, sometimes... Uh, I even get this feedback sometimes. I'm not an oversharer. There are certain things I feel passionate about sharing openly, but I feel like you're right. There isn't something that's earned almost for, mm-hmm. for a certain level of, of be really revealing a lot. Um, and also I, what I love learning from you is I was like, oh yeah, there are certain uh, places, right? So if someone's listening to your podcast and they're on minute 39, that's different to some uh, complete stranger just landing on a reel that was suggested right. and what it is that you're sharing. So it's very considered by you. And to me, it just feels, <sighs> something feels appropriate about that. Like, and, 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 wise in terms of trusting your feet around just going and everybody listen up and here's my script and I did this and I said oh no I'm not accepting that like you, there's something ah there's yeah it's like there's an ancient ancient elegance somehow to this it feels like it's just it just comes down to breathing remembering to breathe I have a a great um instructor that I go to his uh, strength training classes mm-hmm. now I've been um as I'm getting older I'm like lifting more weights I'm like a, mm. I, I'm like Hulk Hogan no but <laughs> No, I, I take that back. I don't think Hulk, I think he got canceled. I don't know. Um, oh, no. I, I don't know about him did, in a long time. Hit, maybe that's why. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Is there any like muscular man? I'm, I'm like, uh, oh, gosh. I'm not, I can't even say the Terminator. I'm not even oh, that. Oh, no. But there's a breathing tip here somewhere. The breathing, right? tip, the breathing tip, he says to us, he's like, and he says to us, like, he's like, this might sound you know, silly or woo woo. But I believe that when you're feeling the resistance Mm. and I think resistance is a metaphor, right? Resistance Mm. in your gym class, resistance in your relationship, resistance at work Mm -hmm. that you don't give up, you Mm. know, and that that may Mm. be the instinct, but rather try just breathing through it and Mm. taking small, smaller, slower steps. Mm. I think that I have tended to be this person that just like shoots out of a cannon and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a very fast worker. I'm fast paced. Yeah. I live in New York. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I have a very sort of fast energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's always great. I think that mm-hmm. I need to myself condition myself to say, Hey, like just mm-hmm. take a minute, breathe, mm-hmm. um, walk away, 
step away, reflect. It works a lot in your financial life. I mean, how many times have you made an impulse purchase, right? Mm -hmm. There's that fear of scarcity or that fear of like, oh my gosh, I have to buy the thing because there's only three left or, Mm -hmm. and then you walk away and you're like, oh, I actually have clarity now. It's because the dopamine levels have dropped Mm -hmm. and you can think from a place of, um, of more rationale. Mm. So, I mean, th- th- there is so much in this. I mean, we, I feel like we cover so many topics in this book, right? We, of course, talk about money. We speak about careers. We speak about female friendships. We speak about miscarriage. I mean, there is, there is so much here. One thing that I thought was interesting, which I, I haven't really thought of or spent too much time thinking about in my own life or in my work, is the fear of loneliness. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And you share it, you know, your story, your experiences of moving to New York, not really fitting in with a particular group, even your roommate mm-hmm. who was mean about your sandwich. Oh my God. <laughs> Making me feel bad about what I'm eating as I'm sitting alone at my wooden desk staring against a wall. Yeah. Are you going to type a low? That's low. Are you going to eat all of that? Jeez. I'm like, it's all I can afford. It's a subway foot long. Can we speak about loneliness for a second? Because I also, I, I've come to understand that loneliness too is, you know, increasingly the biggest cause of stress. And I saw this survey, it made me really sad that, this is a UK survey, that up to one third of adults say they don't have a single friend to turn to in a crisis. Maybe they've got friends to like, you know, work out with or go for drinks with, but not someone who we could call if there were a real problem. And mm-hmm. I'd like to go deeper into the fear of loneliness because I think it's different. I think it's not something that we talk about. It's not like I'm scared of being lonely. We don't want to go out and tell anybody that. We feel like, oh, what, what's someone going to think of me? Can we, can I, like, why did you include this and why is it so important? <laughs> well, I think it started because for me, it started as a fear of severe abandonment as a child. Um, as a kid, mm-hmm. just for some context, mm-hmm. my mom was 19. Mm-hmm. When she had me, mm-hmm. we were both my dad and she and I, we lived in a small apartment in Worcester, Massachusetts. My dad would be gone most of the day. Um, mm-hmm. He was getting his PhD and he was teaching. And my mom didn't speak English, didn't have a driver's license. We didn't have any money. I was two years old. So we would just like take walks around our, you know, income, our low income housing project. And we would just like mm-hmm. spend, I was literally tethered to her. Mm-hmm. And I was so afraid of her not being in my presence at all times. I remember waking up from a nap and she was down the hallway in the building doing a load of laundry and I didn't see her right away. And I just like started screaming and, mm. and I was this kid that just was always afraid of being lonely and being abandoned mostly. Not that she ever threatened to abandon me, but it was just that mm-hmm. she would, she would make me purposely afraid of strangers. She would make me purposely afraid of like getting lost in a store, which I did once. And that was terrifying. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so I have this like very, um, this very childhood rooted fear in loneliness, but of course it evolves. And my mother for me was, she very much carries that chapter because for me looking Mm -hmm. at my mother who made Mm -hmm. me afraid of loneliness because she was afraid of loneliness. I, I, I attach that fear from her. She again was this young adult woman who was in America for the first time raising me new to motherhood, new to parenting, mm-hmm. new to like her youth mm-hmm. in a foreign country. Yeah. And um I saw her model how when you're afraid of loneliness, it is sometimes your calling to 
find within you something that can make you feel attached to something bigger than you are. Like she didn't have a community, but she did have her culture that she left in Iran. But was there a way to continue to feel attached to that? And so what she would do is every chance she could get, and usually it was the Sunday mornings when everybody was still asleep, she would play Iranian music and dance like nobody was watching. And I would watch. And um, I think that if my mother had been given a path that was free, I think that if someone had said to her, what do you want to do with your life and how can we help you? She may have she may have become a dancer. She may have, she's very creative. She may have even Mm -hmm. become a CEO. She's great at negotiating and leadership, but um, she never had that opportunity. And so in the absence of those connections and those friendships, I think she found friendship in herself. My mother was incredibly resolute, incredibly confident. And I always wondered like how, you know, because there wasn't anyone ever giving her accolades. There wasn't everyone, anyone ever being like, you're amazing. Um, she had to find that within herself because that was survival because the fear of loneliness and loneliness in general is not just a stressor. It's a killer. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, it is a, its own epidemic. It is its own pandemic in our country. And that was in the 1980s. Fast forward to today. I think there are many more there, it's just easier to slip into loneliness these days, ironically. I mean, we live in this interconnected world, this global world, but it's very, very easy to disappear. Mm-hmm. It's very, very easy to also fall into this culture of comparison mm-hmm. and not see yourself represented and not mm-hmm. – and then that results in loneliness. I mean, there's different forms of loneliness. There's sort of like the loneliness of not feeling connected to people actually, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're isolated. But then there's also Mm -hmm. the loneliness that comes with being at work and surrounded by a lot of people, but not seeing Mm -hmm. yourself represented and not clicking with anyone. There's there's me being in New York or at Penn State where I went to college Mm -hmm. with, you know, at Penn State, 50,000 students, New York, 8 million people and being like, I don't know, I feel very, feel very isolated ironically. Yeah, like, I don't care about sports. That's what everybody does, right? Yeah. And this is what people do in New York and this is how they hang and this is what they wear. And and it what I love so much was you sharing about your your mom and how she connected to her dance and like she had to find the steadiness within her. She had to find she kept moving. She had to keep moving. moving. Mm-hmm. And you share your own stories like living in New York, going to this university and just kind of not feeling it, like not, not, not the same way that other people so easily just gravitated towards the same things, you being different and that also then being your strength and you finding, could you speak a bit about that? Because I think that sometimes it's not something that we discuss often. It's like, I don't really fit in at work. Like everyone's nice. Like, or, you know, this is a nice even church that I go to, or this is a nice kind of studio where people hang out and work out. But I don't know, like it's, I I don't know what's going on with them, but it's not like, I'm not driving somehow because it's easier to think there's something wrong with us or we need to change something. Yes. In New York City, when I first got there, I was an unpaid intern and I was 19 and I lived at this dorm in at NYU and my roommate, as you mentioned, she was a bit of a bitch. And um, <laughs> Sandwich yeah. girl, yes. <laughs> Sandwich girl. She would make me feel bad for everything I did. She was just picky, picky, yeah. picky. And like, I think mm-hmm. she had an eating disorder. And so she hated when I would eat because then it would, mm. it would trigger her and then she would make fun of me. And then, 
Yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also I wasn't 21 yet, so I couldn't like go to the bars or do a yeah. lot of things in the nightlife. And even if I wanted to, I'd probably be terrified too, because I was told, mm-hmm. I was specifically told this was like 1999 in New York City, like do not take the subway past, you know, 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and blah, blah. Like I was sort of like told about you know, stranger danger in New York and all that. And I believed it. My, my mother were like expecting me oh, to yes. call her every night, you know? So <laughs> I just like stayed at home and watched TV. And uh-huh. I realized that I was, and funny fact, I am in that same dorm mm-hmm. that I lived in. I, I ran into two high school friends Yep, mm-hmm. and I was like, and I wasn't friends with them in high school because I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. they, I wasn't cool enough to be in their group and whatever. Mm-hmm. They were perfectly nice girls, but we just mm-hmm. didn't run in the same circles. Mm-hmm. But I thought now maybe he's our chance because, yeah. hey, like we've all made it. We're all like in this new, uh, on this, you know, on this new planet called New York and we have, mm-hmm. you know, a fresh start. Let's be friends. And that mm-hmm. never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I realized that, you know, I am lonely and I'm not feeling connected, but that doesn't mean that this whole New York City thing was a loss or a failure or that I can't still leave here with it being a win. And mm-hmm. I recognize that, look, I'm here. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I like things. I, I'm very like cultural. I love to go to museums. I, mm-hmm. I I think that my opportunity now is to kind of find myself in this city, explore this mm-hmm. city, be mm-hmm. an observer. There's more to this city than just my dorm and where mm-hmm. I go to work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was hopeful that maybe I would make contemporary peers, but mm-hmm. maybe I can still walk away from this experience with a network of professional friends where I mm-hmm. work, right? Or maybe, um, you know, I, I that summer I remember thinking about graduate school and like, hmm, maybe mm-hmm. I could come back here for graduate school. So I started to chat with people mm-hmm. at Columbia and NYU and made inroads mm-hmm. there. And so um, it wasn't a complete waste of a summer because I decided that in the absence of you know me being able to forge these friendships with people that I thought that was going to make my summer, that there were other ways mm-hmm. to design my life in New York. And I remember taking these long walks and going to visit different neighborhoods. And I fell in love with yeah. New York that summer. I got to see it lived through the eyes of so many different people. I remember I would intentionally get off the subway several stops before Canal Street where I lived. And yeah. just because I wanted to get lost. I wanted to, before the sunset, I wanted to like zigzag my way through this, the, the blocks and maybe find and discover new things. And, and that was done intentionally. So sometimes, you know, I guess this, yeah. the lesson of New York is like, you go there with like a vision, you go there with like a certain set of ideals around what would success look like, and then it doesn't work out. But it doesn't mean that the whole summer's ruined. Like I could still make it's successful. I just had to re- remap it and then really lean into what I do best, which is stay curious, observe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm an again, I'm Iranian, and my dad's a mm-hmm. physicist, and he's really good at math. And ever since I was little, he was like ROI, return on investment. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I was like, I can't leave this city without an ROI, you know? And I love that because I know that like in life, it's so easy for us to go, I'm packing it in. I don't like it here. No one's like asked me to lunch on my, and it's my second week at work. And this city, it's just like, it's, it's not friendly. I think we're so quick. 
right? We're just so ready to just like to give something up. And so I'm like, Farnoosh has got this kind of this sandwich girl roommate who's not very nice. And then she, <laughs> then she sees these two kind of not friends, but kind of acquaintances, but then you kind of don't ask to reach out and like, it just doesn't kind of happen organically. And still there was something there for you, right? Discovery. Yeah getting more and more steady in yourself, getting your ROI from NYC, which is almost like impossible not to get if your eyes are open and if you bring an open heart. But so often we don't, right? We're just so quick to go, well, that was it. Like, or, or we even look back at experiences where we maybe felt a bit lonely or like we weren't uh, just jiving with our environment perfectly. And we think that it was a mistake or yeah. that, that there wasn't something there for us. And it, And like you say in the book too, it prevents us from taking more risks. It does. Right, like, well, mm-hmm. And it prevents us from learning a lot about ourselves. I learned so much about myself mm-hmm. that summer. I literally got the roadmap yeah. for the next few years that summer because I was just oh. like, oh, wow, I can, I'm in New York. Like, I can just walk to Columbia University and they yeah. won't let me in, but I can make an appointment <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and talk to some professors. And, uh-huh. and I got into Columbia a couple of years after that for graduate mm. school. I don't think it was a coincidence. I think that they remembered mm. me as somebody who was so vigilant as of, you know, yeah. years prior to go and, and investigate. And yeah. I just, ROI, and I, baby. ROI. And I, and I lived in New York for the next 19 years. So I know, which is where we connected. I mean, mm-hmm. my gosh. So Okay. The, the fears that you have here, I mean, we could go, each one could be an hour. Like we could go into each one. I, I kind of, the ones that I put, I mean, I, I love all of them. I love all of these chapters. The ones that I particularly think would be fun to explore because they are a little different are FOMO, because I think that whenever we, we think FOMO, we just think what other people are doing on social media and our life sucks. You break it down in a different way. And also the fear of endings. I think that that isn't something that gets nearly enough airtime and yeah. endings are natural. And I also love the story of your friend in that one. So mm. when it came to FOMO, I had to laugh, Nushi, because you're like, I am not creating online courses. <laughs> <laughs> To the day I die, I will try and change your mind. I swear, and I, I, mean, I know that I just I don't. I, I, I it does not spark joy in me. I just can't. Um, good for you. But I read. I was like, good for you. no. Seriously, like, like good for more you. More money like, for you to make. I think like <laughs> I'm opening more pathways for everybody else. Like, I think there's room for everybody to do whatever they want. I think you yes. know. But yeah, yes. I think. Um, FOMO maybe, shows maybe up. Maybe tell the story. Yeah, tell that. Yeah, tell us about FOMO, and maybe share that story or any other story that feels good. Because I think that sometimes we even cut, um, we sell ourselves short with it. We're like, well, I don't care if I'm not in Italy this summer because I've got whatever. Yes, it's like it's bigger than that, right? The fear of missing out. We can really have a whole life based on fitting in or being impressive oh, or yeah. doing the thing that you're supposed to do. We can live our lives that way. <laughs> I mean, it's like a lot of people on social media are doing mm-hmm. that. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, so so FOMO is chapter three and um, it's the fear of missing out in case you've been living under a rock. Uh, <laughs> in case you've never experienced this, I need to know who you are. Um, <laughs> it is a relatively new agey fear. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think the cave people experienced it to some mm-hmm. extent, but I think it's <laughs> heightened in our generation because of social media. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially this nagging fear that, shows up when we see other people doing cool things and we're at home like cleaning grease off of our stove and we're like, really? I don't know how I'm ever going to get to Greece, but my life is not as exciting. It really, it hits where it hurts, like our sense of belonging and sense of accomplishment and sense Mm -hmm. of connection and self-worth. So much is Mm -hmm. uh, tied to FOMO. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I've discovered is that when you do experience FOMO, 
the mistake with the fear often is that we try to go do exactly the same thing everybody else is doing. Everybody's buying a house. I'm going to buy a house. Everybody's going to Greece. I'm going to Greece. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to, you know, start an online course. I'm going to start an <laughs> online course. Mm-hmm. And actually, the fear it is suggesting that there is something that you're feeling is empty. There's an emptiness that you want to fill, and this what you're witnessing is sort of triggering that feeling of emptiness. But the, mm-hmm. but what your goal is not to go and put that square into your round peg. It's about mm-hmm. to go find your round peg, mm-hmm. your round, your round widget. And that round widget is not necessarily the thing. It's sometimes a feeling. I recommend starting with what you want to feel mm-hmm. when FOMO shows up. Like if everyone's mm-hmm. doing this thing in Greece, okay, it's not about going to Greece, but maybe it's about that you really long for an adventure. Mm-hmm. You long for mm-hmm. getting away mm-hmm. somewhere, but does it have to be Greece? No. And it could just be that you saw um, a lovely cocktail in someone's feed, you know, mm-hmm. with the backdrop of Greece, but you really just want the cocktail. So it's like, <laughs> I think that <laughs> you have to, you have to do it within your means. I yes. mean, that's like, that's yes. the, that's the truth of it. But mm-hmm. the FOMO with me and my career was years ago when I was looking around and I was seeing, I think it was around 2016, 2015. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Everybody and their grandmother had a course, an online course, and everybody was making six, Mm -hmm. seven figures. And, and it was just, um, and you couldn't unsee like all the marketing and promotion and all the celebrating around these Mm -hmm. online course people. And in my world of personal finance, this was also a big Mm -hmm. trend. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with a friend who's a little old timey like me. Like we started in the analog years. Like we started mm-hmm. in the late 1900s doing personal <laughs> finance. We didn't do it um, in the mid 2000s. And so we mm-hmm. were like, this internet thing, like we're really leaving this, we're really leaving a lot of money on the table. We've got to mm-hmm. figure out the internet. We got to mm-hmm. like come up with a digital program of our own. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, so I started to go down the rabbit hole and mm-hmm. I just didn't, enjoy it. You know, mm. I, I think it's not a slam on anyone who does it. I think it's- No, 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 absolutely. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like I mm-hmm. actually envy, you know, the, the success and, and that's a good place to start. What are you actually envious of? Is it the course? Mm-hmm. No, for me, I recognize it was the envy of wanting to have something that I could create, mm-hmm. that I could monetize mm-hmm. relatively simply not that mm-hmm. courses are simple, but you know mm-hmm. that there's this passive aspect to the income mm-hmm. and or that I just could make more and not have it be such a time suck. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had up to that point built a career that was very reactive. It was like, mm-hmm. wait for the phone to ring, wait yes. for the email, wait for someone to invite you to do something that pays. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of luck in that in that uh, reactive business yeah. model, I had built, mm-hmm. um, you know, a healthy business, but I was like, what if I built something that was entirely my own that mm-hmm. I could monetize and be in control of my time and my income? Mm-hmm. The course is just not, you know, for me, I just didn't want to do all the technical stuff. And yes, I could hire people, but I also don't like working as someone's mm-hmm. boss. And so that was a dead end. Mm-hmm. But I thought, um, how can I make an impact again, own something that is mine, mm-hmm. um, make good money. And it was, um, and I still like to teach. I like the teaching aspect of coursework. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I thought, what if it's a workshop? Mm-hmm. What if it's a high ticket, small 
private workshop that is the antithesis of a of a course that requires scale. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that's more my speed. That's more what I like to do. And that's, be- that's a better offering for me, actually, because when I listened to what people wanted from me, they wanted that proximity to mm-hmm. me. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and I realized the profit margins are just as good and if not better mm-hmm. than, you know, digital mm-hmm. courses. I don't have a lot of overhead. A lot of, I, I, I sell tickets usually through word of mouth and um, I did it for several years and I still continue to do that. And I, you know, nothing against the digital landscape. I might go back to that idea, but I'm mm-hmm. going to do it differently. Like, I don't think it's a course. Maybe it's a membership. Maybe it's, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I, I just think that I loved when I had that FOMO because it got me thinking outside of the box. It got mm-hmm. me curious about like, what's what's the deal with me? Mm-hmm. Why am I so obsessed with this course stuff and it's not working out? Mm-hmm. But is it, that doesn't mean that I just like give up entirely on this money-making venture. No, I just have to find my way. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think that this is so helpful because – we can, like, like you said, what is the, what's the emotion that's being generated in you? It's often like a feeling of envy, right? Sometimes it's a feeling of even being a bit left out of something that's hot and cool. And oh my God, everyone's just like raking it in or having all the fun on some girl's trip. And it's like, but what do I really want? Yeah. Okay. I want the money, right? I want the feeling of closeness with some girlfriends. Maybe if it's a trip, I want to eat and drink freely for a couple of weeks and just like have that experience. It's like, what is the real thing here? Like, what, like what, what, if you peel, back all of the stuff like what is the core thing that you're really desiring and there are so many ways to create it I mean there's not one path anywhere I mean there are so many ways to make money to experience your life to experience your vacations it's what it is for you and frankly that's really what in my opinion the message of this book is right it's like becoming more you Yes. Like do, doing it your like yeah, doing it your I, way. <laughs> this book is not about how to like have your life. It's not about how to have your life work out perfectly. No. It's not about how you're going to have a ch- be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's really about how to get so honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And the next time you're facing a really scary decision that you mm-hmm. can do it um by not ignoring your fears but bringing them along for the ride. But you're still in control. You're still mm-hmm. in control of this relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, when you speak about fear of endings, this is not something that we talk about a lot. I think that whenever we even think about endings, we think that there was a failure or someone did something wrong or there's pain attached. And that's, I mean, pain is attached. That's also allowed. True. Mm-hmm. But when you speak about uh, endings, there's often like a portion of regret, like, oh, well, so, or someone messed up or, you know, th- there's some type of error included. Tell us about the fear of endings and why this was included. Well, what is more gutting than the fear of an ending, especially if it's the ending of your life or your Mm -hmm. loved one's life? I thought Mm -hmm. um, if I'm really going to talk about fear, like I want to talk about the juggernauts Mm -hmm. and um, certainly loneliness and rejection, they're all very severe and tough, but, but endings is just the grief is unmatched. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not the whole chapter is not about lives ending. It's also mm-hmm. about things that we just hold so dear, um, mm-hmm. projects, relationships. And I had a best friend once. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a hard thing to write. Um, yeah, I would. Do you know what? Because you, so your families were friends, close friends, and when then when the families kind of like separated, it happens. Uh, you two just were no longer friends, and you just didn't speak again. Yeah, we were young. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like I think if you and I if like 
I don't know, like if our husbands were best friends and then they had a falling out, I think we would have still find a way to like, you know. We'd work it out. Yeah, but that, it that, out. from an adult from an adult perspective, but I understand. Like when I was a kid, when things, that was it. We vanished. Like I mean, you'd never see us or hear from us again. Yeah, because your parents paid your bills. Your parents were your livelihood, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. um, I, I, I had this best friend and she mm-hmm. and I, we were just attached at the hip. And mm-hmm. we did everything together. And we had we would dream about like being at each other's weddings mm-hmm. and our kids and all the things. We had so much hope for each other. And then we just had to sort of, you know, it faded. Um, and I think about her a lot. And um, it's very, very hard. Uh, but one of the wisdoms of the fear of, of endings is um, it's sort of asking you to reframe this idea of regret. You know, in our culture, we're very much like no regrets. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this isn't my pop science. This is actually Daniel Pink. Mm-hmm. He's the author of an incredible bestseller called The Power of Regret. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he synthesizes um, a lot of research in like psychology, neuroscience, and biology to dispel the notion that, um, you know, that we hold on to that, you know, we should not have any regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, no, regrets are essential. They teach you mm-hmm. so much. And I think re- like regret is, is sort of like what happens after an ending, you know, mm-hmm. like you talked about like, oh, I should have mm-hmm. done this. Maybe if I had done that, it wouldn't have ended, mm-hmm. but it's gone. It's over now. So what is there to learn in the regret? And um, he goes even further where he talks about, you know, when we talk about regret, we often say like, um, if only. So yeah, there's two ways to think about regret. There's regret in the sense of like, um, if only, which gives you a sense of like processing the grief, like going back and thinking about, you know, if only I had done this, if only I had done that. Mm-hmm. But, and that's actually the healthier fear. Um, that's the healthier regret to process, um, mm-hmm. versus what we also tend to do with regret, which is where we say things like, at least, you know, mm. it could have been this way or it didn't go that direction. It sort of like allows us to um, not think about how to make it better next time. Mm-hmm. And so um, regret has a lot of value in our lives. I think it's an opportunity to reflect on the past and how you can make things better in the future. And so for me, like with my friend, mm-hmm. um, yeah, at least we had the time that we had together. And that was, I cherish our childhood. But if yeah. only um, I had, you know, the foresight to know that having her in my life today would have been such a gift too. Mm. And maybe I, if only I had said, screw my parents. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> if only which is I- very hard. Which, which is you know, very, very which hard. Which is very hard. But, yeah. you know, I have, I have had to create some boundaries and mm-hmm. some, you know, guardrails with my family because I think mm-hmm. that sometimes their influence is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, true for most of us once we reach a certain point, like in, di- in completely different ways in different families. But what I thought was so amazing was when you kind of like realized later about your son's name. Oh my like, God. It, I was like, wow. I mean, uh, to me, even though it, that can feel like a pain with an ending here, for me, I just thought it was a beautiful friendship. And just because something's over in a traditional sense doesn't mean that it's still not uh, on some level continuing. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful. So yeah, we ended up having two boys. I had, we, mm-hmm. we ended up both having a son as our first mm-hmm. child and mm-hmm. she was, um, she had her child a little bit after I did. And mm-hmm. through the grapevine, I heard that she named him Evan. 
which is my mm-hmm. son's name. Yeah. And that is, um, I don't know. I want to think that um, it wasn't just a coincidence. I want to think yeah. that maybe we did have this like, you know, crazy mm-hmm. telepathy going on, but also <laughs> yeah. that maybe she heard too that I have a son named Evan and she liked the name and wanted to name her son Evan because it was a way for us to continue to be connected and maybe our Evans will meet one day and continue mm-hmm. the legacy. I don't know. It made me emotional reading about it because I think when it comes to endings, if there's one thing that we can take from it, in my opinion, it's just that at at some point in time, someone loved, like someone cared, like there, and there is an eternity to that. And, yes. and the, the circumstances, of course, life changes, there are many complexities, but I just think that, you know, you've captured, and you're, funny, you're a very pragmatic woman. I mean, as the money lady, you know, like you give advice, you, you have all the uh, expert credentials, you have all the up-to-date data, like you're the go-to. And in this book, I love seeing this kind of more, um, of course, always very practical, but also, um, I don't even know why you said describe it but uh, another side like this um the intangibles like the the i don't want to say spiritual because it's it's too reductive but you you know what i mean like there was another side to farnoosh in this book for anyone who's known you even if someone's brand new to you welcome you're in for the biggest treat (laughs) for anyone who's known you it's like this is this is fresh like this is uh, a side of you that's i think maybe it's just the perfect life stage to be sharing this. Maybe it's not I, me. I mean, I, I have no shame anymore, I guess. Um, <laughs> come for the practicality, stay for the wild stories. <laughs> and the stories are on, I mean, you really, you really good. I, I loved reading this book. Like true. I, I loved it. What's you. your intent? What's your intention for this book? So it goes down to the world, women, men everywhere, holding it in their hot little hands on the subway, on the beach, on their Kindle in bed. Like, if you had an intention, what is it? Oh, I would love to see this book organically shared. Like, I want to stop having to, you know, <laughs> do Instagram reels about it. I just, I want to like move on from promoting the book. No, I, I will always <laughs> real. Like I told you, this is real. Seriously, like I just want to stop having to fight the algorithms to get yeah. the word out. <laughs> I would love for people to carry the message of this book organically amongst their friends and recommend it and really see it as this game changer, really this book that um, is giving them permission to accept their fears and dare say love their fears Mm -hmm. and see fear as not a weakness, but Mm -hmm. a potential potential clue into Mm. who they really are and what they really stand for and how to go about getting it with their safety intact, with their security intact, with their integrity intact. Mm. Um, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I just, and I, and I, and I wanted to make it a light book. I didn't want this to be like the fear of endings is, is kind of heavy mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't want to undermine or underscore these major challenges that we all survive. Mm-hmm. But in order mm-hmm. to talk about fear and have people read it and enjoy it, I feel like you got to make it accessible. Like you got to 
<laughs> oh yeah, and, and by the way, and and like to be clear, like this this book is hilarious. I mean, even just like the opening story, like how you're the scaredy cat throw, yeah. <laughs> throwing yourself in front of a car. I mean, like, like yeah. you're in for a ride, a torrent with this yeah. book. I mean, and no regrets about that. <laughs> I would, I would tell that four year old, you know, <laughs> get loud. <laughs> so I would like to read a passage from the book, oh, if I may, yes. because it's so beautiful. This is what from the words of Farnoosh Tarabi, A Healthy State of Panic, out October 3rd, 2023, everywhere books are sold. I want you to know that you can do the scary stuff. And more importantly, you really should. Is being afraid a sign that you're perhaps drawn to an idea, a project, a love, a work? So very much that the thought of possibly failing at it, losing it, being disappointed by it, or giving up on it frightens you. I know the feeling. But rather than fearing the possibility of failure or grief or regret or uncertainty or any of it, fear the risk of missing out on an actualized life. Sometimes siding with fear is the way. Because you might just be onto something beautiful. Something more powerful more you oh Anoush. where do we go to get where, where do we go to get all the things i know you've got lots of goodies you've got lots of cool exciting things coming up where do people go to 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 grab the book and more thank you it sounds so much you should have done my audiobook by the way I feel like <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. it's so good i love it i love this book oh <sighs> thank you well you can go to a healthy state of that mm-hmm. should be all of it right there with Mm -hmm. uh, links to where you can buy the book. If you are listening to this before the book comes out on October 3rd, you can pre-order and get lots of goodies Mm -hmm. on that site. You can also find out where I'll be. I'm going on a little bit of an East Coast tour, hope to go to the West Coast, and then Miami. Yay! A healthy state of panic. Remember the A. And we're also going to be doing a book giveaway. So follow Farnoosh and I to be a potential very lucky winner of this very sexy, very practical, very (laughs) relevant and timely book. My friends, Farnoosh Taravi, what an honor. I love every minute I get to spend with you. Congratulations again on this work of art. I'm thrilled for it to be in as many people's hands as possible. Thank you. And very soon. Listeners, Susie is in the book. Susie is in the book. She 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 knows fear and she knows how to use it well. And she has done that demonstratively. And it's in the book, and you will love that story. Thank you, Farnoosh. So much love to you and friends. The book, a must read. Maybe you'll be a lucky winner. Follow, uh, Follow us both and much more to come on this. Until next time, so much love and ease. Hey friend, I've got something really cool for you. I want to give you free access to my signature course called Slay Your Year, which typically sells for $997. You can check it out, all the details at slayyouryear.com. All you have to do to get access is leave me a review, leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, take a snapshot of it and send it to info at suzy-more.com. That's info at suzy-more.com and we'll get you set up with access.